0: In today's episode, we'll be discussing all things Premier League, from City's makeshift defence to the Brendan Rodgers revolution. We'll also be discussing some of the unfortunate instances of racism that have cropped up in recent weeks, our early championship thoughts, and we'll be discussing Andy Murray's European Open championship win. Welcome back to the Mainly Football podcast. This is season two, episode one. Uh, we have returned from our summer breaks, rejuvenated and ready to talk all things football. I'm joined by none other than Mr Jack Heel. How are you doing, Jack? Very well, thanks, George. Yourself? Yeah, very good, thank you. Did you have a nice summer?
1: Uh, yeah, I did, thank you. Um, relaxing bit of football, Women's World Cup. Obviously, glad to see us back into the Premier League, English football, European seasons. And, yeah, sport in general, big, sp- uh, big summer for sport. And, yeah, looking forward to it. We're back.
0: And also joined by Mikey Partington. Uh, the most prolific guest turned podcast co-host. He's uh, he's come back for season two, permanent transfer. How you doing Mikey?
2: I'm brilliant thanks George, how are you?
0: Yeah, very good. Did you uh, enjoy your summer as well?
2: Yeah, it's been nice hasn't it? A bit of time off but as Jack says, yeah we're ready to come back and talk some more football so it's great to be back on.
0: Exactly and uh, got that added pressure of uh, year two now, how are you both coping with that, alright?
2: Yeah, it's not been too bad so far, has it? Obviously, a few deadlines coming up, but uh, getting the priorities right and getting a podcast on on an essay deadline yeah. week. So, uh. yeah,
0: always a smart choice there. Elite mentality. Can't wait to fail. <laughs> so we're going to start with a bit of talk about Manchester City. They they won two 0 uh, away at Palace at Selhurst Park. Um, very impressive. Really, they've been in a bit of a bit of dodgy form, which is it's rare to see from City in the last sort of two three years, especially. Um, Obviously, Rodri and Fernandinho playing at centre-back. I'll start with you, Jack. What did you make of the game and the performances of those two, especially? Solid
1: performance. City always seem to bounce back uh,
0: whenever there's been a result. And from fans
1: in general to social media to the media, I always think there's a massive overreaction when City do lose. Um, obviously it's not something that happens too often and when it does, it's kind of blown out of proportion. I think, obviously, with Stones being out and Laporte, obviously a more long-term injury, we've had to make do with Fernandinho and uh, Otamendi and, obviously, uh, with Rodri against Palace. And it worked out well, I think. I think what we've struggled with is because, say, um, Gunduan's had to come in sitting next to Rodri, um, it's kind of left David Silva as the only attacking midfielder, and with that, obviously, we're not going to create as many chances with such, well, with a more conservative midfield to compensate for the defence. Um, and obviously, creating less chances is going to be under the cosh a bit more. Whereas with having Gundogan as lone six on his own, uh, like the back end of last season, obviously two uh, holding midfielders at the back, we were able to kind of sustain attacks throughout the game. And obviously more pressure on Palace, more likely to score. And the goals, yeah, they came with that as well. So it's great, um, great to see City getting back into the rhythm of things. Hopefully can just continue this vein of form now.
0: Yeah, and um, in terms of that Rodri-Fernandinho partnership, is that something that can, well, in the short term at least, kind of carry on for City, take you forward?
1: Um, I think with Stones coming back from injury, obviously came on against Palace. I think he'll be a, st- a stalwart straight back into the Uh, into the centre of defence, probably partnered by Fernandinho, and then I'd probably say either Rodri or Gundogan as the lone six. Otamendi has proved a liability at times, especially like uh, in the game against Wolves, Is kind of that form from Pep's opening season where he was a real rash challenger and making decisions that he he, he hasn't done um, in his fantastic season in 17-18 and um, parts of 18-19, so... I don't think you'll probably see them in in centre of defence together again for a while, um, but it kind of depends on Stones' fitness, but I think he'll be back for the Champions League.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, in terms of, well, you're taking two midfielders out and putting them in defence, that's going to leave a bit of a gap. Um, for someone like Phil Foden, that's obviously a fantastic chance. Could you see him with, with this sort of centre-back crisis? Do you think that could be a chance for him to, to sort of get more of a starting role for City? Mikey, I'll yeah, pass it think, on to
2: you. Yeah, I think obviously, potentially, when you lose players from midfield, it, you could perhaps overcompensate by putting Foden in. But I think it's difficult because obviously, you've got Foden's a more attack minded midfielder, obviously, City's midfielders that have lost a more a defensive calibre. And I think Pepa's been quite reserved in terms of throwing Foden in in their moments. He's kind of, he's quite overprotective, you could say. And I think if you're going to throw Foden in, obviously, City tend to play with the three in midfield he's not going to play as the holding six and then obviously you're looking then at who do you drop deeper out of De Bruyne or David Silva and I don't think you can drop any of those players deeper Mm. so I think so far Pep's probably managed it in the right way he's been pushed for resources in terms of injuries but he's just about got through at the moment you could say Um, another injury more and he could have a bit of trouble but yeah I think obviously in the next few weeks maybe in the Champions League coming up we could see Foden get more of a chance Um, but in terms of Getting in over the other players, I think, at the moment, De Bruyne and David Silva definitely hold them positions in the more attacking roles in the midfield.
0: Yeah, you definitely can't look past them. Um, another player I wanted to mention as well, um, another player who might might be a bit frustrated from his lack of chances, um, Gabriel Jesus, scored his 50th goal on the weekend. Um, and for him as well, I mean, he's got a striker in Aguero in front of him, which is never an easy task to start ahead of someone like him. Um well, how do you how do you feel for him this weekend?
1: I think it's great to see Gabriel Jesus back starting, I mean I think when he has played, he's always delivered this season. Um, I think obviously moving to the right uh, of the attack for Brazil over the Copper America playing so well, it's been incredible for his confidence, and he's bringing that back this season. I think, uh, I think quite quite a lot of City fans have been skeptical in recent years about whether he'll. He's kind of got the credentials to. take over from Aguero, I think when Aguero does leave we were saying before Mikey, I think City will bring in another striker, but I think Jesus, there's no reason why with his pressing game and his finishing's only going to be improving, he's still so young, maybe 21, 22 years old, I think last year he struggled for game time a lot, whereas this year I think not rotating every week with Aguero but maybe he'll get some more high profile games, whereas I think last year he was used in kind of the lesser games a lot more, I think a gradual phasing out over the next couple of years will start to happen.
0: Yeah, and we'll see. We'll probably see Pep put a bit more faith in him as as Aguero starts to get older. Um, what were you going to add on that, Mikey?
2: Yeah, I just think it's mad how like people seem to forget how young Gabriel Jesus is. Obviously, he was brought to City what two or three years ago now under and Pep, and, half, and yeah. it's it's mad. It feels like he's been there for so much longer. And you can say with him and Aguero, they've only had the two strikers, but they're that physically consistent and. You could say like iron sharpens iron in terms of Aguero and Jesus. They're so so good strikers and they take so much off each other that when Pep does take one out and put the other in, it's almost like a straight swap. They all they both have the different attributes, but they both play that role so well and I think that's been key for City over the last few years.
0: Yeah.
1: Just another thing on the age kind of thing, I I completely get what you mean. He's so young, but just bringing it back to Foden, obviously, I think people. I there's a lot of talk in the media about Foden um, and whether he's at the right place. I think you've just got to put it into context. He's just turned, oh, he's not long turned nineteen in May. He's got the player. Everyone under, understands that he's got such players ahead of him: David Silva, De Bruyne, Bernardo. Um, he's just got to bide his time, and I think. With David Silva, for certain, leaving at the end of the season, he's just going to take their minutes and roll with them. He's going to keep developing. I think when, especially when it's kind of towards a winter season, when games are coming thick and fast every week, uh, twice a week, sorry. Similar to how they are now, I think he'll start to get a kind of run of games and then that'll be when it kind of flourishes. But I think that's what people kind of don't give enough credit for. Obviously, it's hard to say with so many options he's got a bit of a conundrum with the amount of plays he's got, because anyone else would be blessed to have Phil Foden or any of the attacking midfielders, but you just got to put it into context of how he has got to manage them players' game time, and he has got to manage Phil's as well. And At the moment, Phil may be at the back of the queue in that role, but he's only going to be keep developing, keep developing. He's shown last year against Spurs with the winner that he can influence big games, but it'll take time.
2: I think it'll be interesting as well. Obviously, we know David Silva's moving on at the end of this season. Is Phil Foden at the age of 19, 20 maybe then, is he ready to step up into that role?
1: I think I think 100%. You look back to when Pep was at Barcelona, Andres Iniesta, Sergio Busquets, they were playing first-team football at 20, as in broke through at yeah. 20 from yeah, yeah. Barca B. So, obviously, Spanish football is different with the B teams, but I think you've just got to... Obviously, a lot of players will want it right now, and they know they've got the ability and fair play to those that do take that opportunity, but I think... Foden stays. Foden gets the game time. He's only going to be reaping the benefits in years to come.
0: Yeah, definitely. It does seem like um, a player like Foden, who's broken on, he broke into the scene at seventeen, didn't he? Uh, His name sort of getting round. Um, But I mean, you see similar sort of cases with players like Odegaard, who went to Madrid at what fifteen, was was all over the global global news. It's nurturing um, them
2: right, isn't it? Like obviously we've seen with Odegaard going to Real Madrid, and you've not really heard much about him since then. You've seen him mm. with, with Oh, that's a shocking
1: call, Mikey. That seen, is a shocker. <laughs> <see obviously not laughs> Best player as, in La Liga this season. I know. Yeah, well, but I, since,
2: since he obviously went to Real Madrid, there was this big hype about him, but mm. since then, obviously, he's not really done as well, much. And you look at Foden, people talk about Foden not getting much game time, but you you could say Pep just nurtured him perfectly and brought him gradually along the pathway and now obviously he could be ready to start for City next year yeah
0: I, I think with uh with Odegaard especially uh this is going a bit off topic but um he was given that appearance he was about 16 yeah. and he came on some sub-appearance a few years ago now for an but, L, though, I think it was yeah it was kind of it's that whole marketing ploy yeah. side to it isn't it Passing but then of the, of the yeah of the uh the baton on, that's the one <laughs> yeah. carry on sorry. um but he went to the Eredivisie and um sort of well did well there. A couple of years at Vitesse, wasn't it? Yeah, Vitesse it was. Yeah. He's come back to Sociedad, and he's and he's tearing up the league this season. Unbelievable.
1: I mean, I think he's only on a season long loan there, but, or I'm sure it's a season long loan, but it p- could be a potential buyback, um, or a buying option. But I think any club that's coming in for him, obviously Ajax were linked to him in the summer, and any play where any t- any club where he can get consistent game time widely regarded as the best player in the league
0: on form at the moment
1: and then like a lot of young players obviously um they'll continue to develop
0: and get better and better. We'll bring it back to the Premier League there went a little bit off topic um next point of call Leicester they've uh, been very impressed this season um they continue their their bright start to the season with a 2-1 victory over Burnley uh Vardy and Tielemann scoring they're currently sat in third place two points behind City uh, they've got a few quite nice fixtures coming up they've um, got back-to-back away games versus Southampton and Palace. And uh, then they've got a home game against Arsenal, which will be a good test for them in terms of the sort of longer-term picture of the season. Um, I mean, where do we, under this sort of Brendan Rodgers revolution, how do we see Leicester doing this season? Do you reckon they can keep up, Mikey?
2: Oh, definitely. I don't I, I don't think there's any reason why they can't go, you know, top six, maybe even top four. Obviously, we've got to be calm on them. We're nine games in. There's always that one or two teams who always start well, but certainly if you look deeper, you look at the manager in Brendan Rodgers. He's had so much success in Scotland, obviously nearly won the Premier League with Liverpool. You look at the players. The, I think, for me, it's the recruitment at Leicester. The Some of the talent they brought in over the last few seasons, like to bring Tillemans in, to warden off you know, the likes of United, Real Madrid, and to bring Tillemans in for the price they did as well. It's such a young, exciting midfielder. Um Just the quality they have in that squad is definitely up there at that level. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I think a
1: lot of it boils down to kind of player recruitment. Obviously, Brendan Rodgers came and he's brought with him Lee Congerton, player player recruitment at Celtic. Um, And I think, obviously, prior to that as well, some of the buys have been fantastic. I think you look at their kind of, their bargains in recent years. Soyun is one who's proved to be fantastic this season as a Maguire replacement. I remember him being linked to City a few years back, and he's some. If you were to put a price tag on him now, Leicester wouldn't have have no reason to sell, but you wouldn't say they'd sell for
0: less I than 85 yeah.
2: million, as well, isn't it? Like obviously they knew Maguire was probably going to go eventually. Mm. They've brought Soyunu in, and straight away now there's no problems. He's just yeah. slotted well, I, in. I believe he,
0: he was there last season, yeah, but he yeah, was more yeah. of a backup, and yeah. they they thought rather have someone who's been there for a year and, and been around the dressing room, um, and it was they must have probably. Uh, signed him with the sort of in mind that Maguire might be leaving in the next couple of years Um, obviously there's other players like Ndidi who's been sort of well performing uh, at top level for Leicester for a couple of years now Um, he was brought in from the Belgium League and um, and like you said, Teederman, someone who kind of faltered a bit at Monaco, yeah, and then he's kind of picked his career up again from being this promising youngster. And then obviously the likes of Madison as well. What are you can add on that, Jack?
1: Hundred percent. Just like you said on Madison, there. I was reading something in the Athletic this morning, a David Ornstein column, and he was saying that United have been interested, but Leicester feel like they have no reason to sell. And why should they? They bought in. So they've reinvested the Maguire money. Well, they've brought in that Dennis Pryor from Sampdoria, and he's someone I've not seen him play much personally. But he's someone, an attacking midfielder who, say, if Leicester were were to uh, have to get uh, were to move on Madison for the right fee, Pryor and potentially another new sign in who they could bring in at a decent value again would be another player who could mold into that kind of Tielemans' role at number eight. Um, and just thrive there. I mean, the recruitment is absolutely fantastic. They're always one step ahead, and I think that's been um, fantastic for Rogers to have that kind of recruitment team and uh, analysts behind him who'll kind of give him the idealistic team in a way to suit mm. his philosophy.
0: Yeah, and uh, and a bit like when they won the league a few years ago. Now, actually, it's all it's always about performing at that good level. But you you need teams, to other teams, teams like United, uh, Tottenham now as well. To sort of drop off a bit, yeah. and I'm sure I feel like Tottenham will sort of will climb back up. United, I, I'm a bit less hopeful for, to be honest. Yeah. Um. But I mean, yeah. I, I, just just before we move on, I want to get a, an early prediction of where you think Leicester will come this season. So, Jack, I'll start with you.
1: I think early on in the season, I said, I said sixth, as in as in this is me among my friends and stuff. I'm gonna stick with sixth because I, I don't believe United are getting top six. Um and yeah I, I think it'll be w- one of them where they kind of they do keep up the form and kind of consistency but it will tail off at some point and the kind of the, the experience and quality of other sides will kind of potentially shine through as the season goes on
0: yeah and um, Mikey
2: I'm gonna go fifth I think they'll narrowly miss out I think they've got the quality in the starting 11 I think they're very similar to a team sort of like Liverpool who have a very good starting 11 I think They've got good players to bring off the bench, but I think if they can keep getting the consistency, I think we talk about all these players, you know, Tillemans, Madison, they've got the best out of their best player. That's Jamie Vardy. They've obviously they've catered around his system more. I think under Claude Puel, they hadn't done that. So I think they've got the best out of him. If they can keep doing that, I don't see any reason why they can't finish in the top six. I think top four, probably a bit too much of a push. Obviously, they've got no other distractions in terms of European football, but... I think the depth, you know, when it gets to the real nitty gritty yeah. parts of the season, come and, February. Yeah, we don't know what United are going to do yet. We don't know Chelsea, Arsenal have had a good start, so yeah, mm. I'll go with fifth.
0: Yeah, and uh, well, what about as, yourself? Uh, myself, I think yeah, like you said, the depth is the, is the main thing. It's um, it does seem like with with Leicester, they last season it was kind of transitioning into that Roger system. Yeah. Now it does feel like they've got into that full transition. Um, I'm probably going to say sixth just because, um, yeah, like you said, with the depth. I don't think yeah. they'll be able to continue it, especially if they get a couple of injuries. Uh, yeah. It depends how they, how they recruit in January, really. I but. think
2: it's one of them, isn't it? Like if, say, Vardy gets injured next week, who who plays up front for Leicester? Like, who yeah. do you bring in? Obviously, maybe Perez could come in. Mm. But
1: Ian, Ian Atchoo, but he's still not Ian proving Atcho. himself consistently.
2: Exactly. If, you know, if the likes of Soyuncu... You know, get injured at the back. Johnny Evans. Like, who do they bring in? It's not mm. top six caliber players, is it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings us on to another team in blue, um, Chelsea under Frank Lampard. Um, it's been a bit of a strange season for them, but then it's um, it's a, it's been it's kind of improved since that opening day defeat to United. Uh, I think they've kind of gradually got better and better. So yeah, they they beat Newcastle one nil this weekend. Um, Quite a straightforward uh, victory, but I mean, they're undefeated since their 2-1 defeat to Liverpool on September the 22nd. Um, relatively easy fixtures, beating Brighton, Southampton um, and Newcastle. So yeah, Chelsea, they're undefeated since their 2-1 defeat to Liverpool on the September the 22nd. They've beaten, had a few relatively easy fixtures against Brighton, Southampton and Newcastle. Um, and then an impressive away victory at Lille in the Champions League um they go away to Ajax this Wednesday and then they've also got Burnley on Saturday so i mean like you said Mikey the fixtures really starting to heat up now i mean how have you rated them so far and i mean the transfer ban has let them allowed them to sort of be a bit more uh, willing to use the younger players but how have you rated Chelsea so far
1: i mean they've kind of i think I was quite positive in terms of what how I thought they'd do this season and I think they've exceeded that already. I remember we've previously taught the, trans, the kind of possible implications of the transfer ban back in January on the podcast and I think they've exceeded that completely. Abraham, Mount, Tamori, the obvious ones have kind of shone when given the opportunity. Christensen, another academy graduate who has kind of stalled a bit under Sarri. Um, I think he's really come into his own. Uh, at the heart of defence, and then other players, for example, Callum Hudson Odoi is coming back. We know what he can do. Billy Gilmore, another one, an eighteen-year-old central midfield. Obviously, Chelsea are kind of blessed with central midfielders out of all their positions. But Frank Lampard's clearly giving opportunities to youth, and it's proving it's proving um, it's, it's proving him right because him and I think him and Jodie Morris have done a fantastic job, and they both deserve a lot of credit. Um, yeah. For putting such trust
0: yeah and it's it's quite it must be quite nice as a chelsea fan this year because it's almost not a write-off season but it's a season where you've got nothing to lose and uh for lampard it means there's not really that pressure because i think whatever happens this season unless he was to finish like 12th yeah. he's not going to get sacked um and he's got obviously thanks to sarah he's got that europa league or maybe thanks to hazard he's got that U- europa league um well the champions league spot i mean um so it, it gives them a chance to sort of fight on those multiple fronts. Do you reckon they've got the depth depth um, to do that?
2: I think, obviously, it's difficult to say when he's been playing, Lampard's been playing more or less a similar team every week. I think it's, obviously, we've been banging on about it so long, Chelsea not giving the chance to youth. And now that they have, I think we kind of have to be positive about that. Obviously, you've got the likes of Mount, Abraham, Tomorius, Jack's just mentioned, that are really... You know, they're really taking their chance at the moment. Have they got the depth? Probably probably not at the moment. I think if you've got a young team, you do need some more experienced heads. And I think if those, you know, if those younger players aren't playing, you do need other players to step in. But then again, you have to look up front. And we were saying about Leicester then, you know, if Fardy got injured, who would play that? Well, if Abraham's not in the team, you know, you've got Batshuayi, you've got Giroud. So you have got that experience. I think it's more a case of, have they got enough as a rounded squad in terms of experience and youth to like challenge? know how in the big games and stuff. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, um, yeah. It's, it does seem like players from what I've seen of Chelsea this season, like Pedro, Willian, they have sort of been stepping up as these senior players. Mm. They were kind of. I feel like they were all, always sort of understudies to Hazard yeah. when he was they're at just Chelsea. Along. Exactly, and and now they're sort of the bigger names, and then it allows sort of Mount and Abraham. To, to play with, without pressure, really, yeah. um, which is it, it's great to see, really, what you're going to add on that, Jack.
1: Like like you just said about players who have kind of stepped up, I think Marcus Alonso is another one, um, kind of fell away to Emerson at the last stages of the last season and really was struggling defensively. I remember in a game against City, he got absolutely torn to pieces on that left-hand side. But I think to give, give credit where it's due, he has improved defensively. He's obviously been working closely with um, Lampard and the kind of analyst team to to kind of hone his defensive approach a bit more and uh, particularly his attacking game, his crossing as well because it seemed like at parts last season he was neither, neither here nor there. Um, now, Lampard does kind of get a lot of stick in terms of he has to use these young players, which granted, well, he doesn't have to, but it obviously um, he's given them the chance. But I do think he he deserves the credit and gets unfair stick for kind of People say, no, oh, that he does have to use them because he has got senior players, like you've mentioned, obviously. Some who aren't up to it anymore, some who are Im- still improving their game, but I think to kind of he's kind of combined some seniority and experience with youthfulness, and at the moment it's paying off.
2: I think the real thing is if, if Sarri was still in charge, I think you've got to look at it. Abraham and Mount probably wouldn't have played. Loftus-Cheek would probably be we the only one with the uh, yeah, we probably would have had Loftus Chief, maybe Ross Barkley. You probably would have had Giroud up front, maybe bachwai would have got a game? I really, to be honest, Mount and Abraham might have gone back out on loan. Mm. It's I think you talk about Lampard. Obviously, he doesn't have to use them, but you know he's he's chosen to use them. He did it at Derby <coughs> last year, and that's what's worked for him.
0: Hundred percent. Yeah. Well, from that, we'll uh, we'll move on to some of the VAR controversy. It, it seems like that. It, there's controversy every week. Well. <laughs> There is really, but um, starting with Spurs versus Watford, there was the uh, wrong graphic used with uh, one of the screens reporting a goal and the other reporting no goal. Um, And uh, the Hawkeye, the company who do VAR, they've actually come out and apologised for that. Uh, It seems like it was actually just a a human error, but it does raise the question um, with a few other things as well. So there was the um, Villa Villa versus Brighton. There was a, a goal disallowed. Or a supposed foul on Matthew Ryan, um, and then there's also there's been a few instances with United. So the build-up for uh, United's goal with a supposed foul on Origi, which uh, wasn't given by the ref, and then there was the uh, handball in the uh, in the same match with um, Liverpool's goal being disallowed. Um, but what do we make on the sort of what's been going on this weekend with it? Oh, it's, it's, mm, I think VAR. I think it'll get it take time to get used
1: to. I think it was kind of trialled in the last stage of the Champions League last year, so people got a taste of it. But now, obviously, with it being every week in the Premier League, the um, and the, with the Premier League un- under kind of such scrutiny, so, uh, eyes of the world, so many people watching, people are always going to pick up on these things. I mean, you can understand it's it's not going to be picture perfect every week, but if it's going to be brought in to kind of eliminate their that kind of the middle ground, as such, if it's going to be brought in to eliminate or to make itself as close to being perfect as it can, then it's got to it's got to prove that. I mean, obviously with the the VAR error with Spurs game, obviously that just seems to be a human error. But I think obviously there's the the kind of grey area about yeah. how much contact there is for a foul, what's not. It's
0: what what would you say needs to be improved with it
1: I think people, what people have come to in recent years is the timing of it. I think that's improved a lot this year with referees kind of opting to not use the screen on the side. That seems to take away about 90 seconds. Um, I think just a bit more potential clarity on fouls. For example, yeah. the Diva Carigi one that wasn't given at the weekend. There's contact on and it's what looked like his inner thigh. Um, referees viewed that as not enough contact. So it's not been given, obviously, uproar with the Liverpool fans. So
2: it really is a tough one. I think the biggest problem is, at the end of the day, it's still subjective. Mm -hmm. So you've still got someone sat in a, what is it, Stockley Park over watching the cameras, watching these replays and making a decision. It's the same as what the ref will be doing. Obviously, they've got more angles. So when you have these controversial decisions that perhaps some people don't agree with, so in the Liverpool game at the weekend, you're kind of thinking, well... If he's had all these angles in slow motion, surely it should be perfect. Yeah. I think the problem really is in the consistency, and it seems at the moment like the officials in the v- the VAR officials are almost petrified to overturn the on-field referee's decision. Obviously, we saw yesterday with United's goal, there probably was a foul in the build-up on mm. but because it hadn't been given on-field, the VAR officials don't want to overturn it. Mm. So it's a case of it's the clarity I suppose in certain situations because the fans from both sides with different opinions
0: yeah I think another the sort of main problem with it like you said it's subjective so it's always it's not going to be that same consistency unless it was literally the, the one view of one person let's yeah. say but that would be near impossible um, but also f- football is such a fast paced game as well so th- when, like you said with the United goal the build up you've got the, a foul might happen, like on a regi, but then it's it's almost impossible to stop it so quickly because it's so fast-paced, end-to-end stuff. Um, I mean, compared to other sports, well, like tennis, you, you've got a bit more t- games yep. could last for hours, and you've got more time with Hawkeye, for example. Yeah. Um, with rugby as well, it's a bit more stop-start, I'd say, especially in football, way less well, fluid.
2: Yeah, I think the one thing I was going to say, obviously, I watch a lot of NFL and... I think the one thing they do there is, they obviously have a video replay system and stuff, but when a decision gets put in and there's a challenge and obviously there's people elsewhere looking at it on the screens, they always come back to the referee and there's an explanation to the whole stadium on the cameras of why they've given a certain decision. I think that would obviously help the Premier League a lot, whether that would increase the time in terms of the decision and the game being stopped, it probably would. Mm. But for the clarity and to kind of end that debate, it would probably be needed. Yeah,
0: um, I mean, maybe some sort of solutions. I'm not sure how necessary this could work, but then you could almost have a similar sort of rule to tennis where you get three um, yeah. three sort of calls. So the, the captain or the manager, if they, if they see something and they want it reviewed, they can ask for that. And then maybe it's more just down to the ref, how it used to be a bit more, rather than someone in the ref ear saying that, could have been a foul so it's yeah, yeah. it's more like if a team want to call that they can run the risk of running out of calls to make yeah but then like maybe challenges it, it, exactly more challenges and um maybe that's a way of making it more fair because team obviously teams do see things like handballs and the ref might not see that if they want to call that then it, it in my opinion could be a better option
2: yeah
1: i think it's it's a fine line with technology in football isn't it because we're at a point now where VAR's been introduced, and I think any more kind of technology to the game could kind of take... I think the fan experience has been impacted, I think we've found, with games, for example, last-minute winner, Gabriel Jesus against Spurs. Obviously, I'm not too keen on this new handball rule, but I understand VAR completely acting to that, I get that. But I think fan, fan celebrations in the stadium, it's not nice to have to think the first port of call... Um, in the Champions League I remember when City scored against uh, against Shakhtar Donetsk was, I bet that's going to go to VAR and I yeah. bet it's going to go offside that's not it's not it, what football's for do you know what I yeah, mean? Mm. Well
2: obviously like you you look at the game yesterday and as a United fan a game against Liverpool is one of your biggest of the season we've scored to go 1-0 up and I'm stood there waiting to celebrate mm. because you don't know if it's going to mm. get overturned it takes that emotion away and obviously because we've not scored again in that game that's that's it you know that emotion's kind of gone
0: yeah definitely definitely um one i mean one final note on vr before we move on um i suppose with other sports as well i know with rugby it, it took a few years for sort of the technology to be perfected so i think maybe patience is what's needed there's mm-hmm. going to be mistakes but then it sort of swings and roundabouts isn't it every team's gonna have yeah. negative things against them but they're also going to get away with things as well Hundred um so, I mean, maybe in five years, there'll be some perfect system for it, hopefully sooner than that. And um, I think it's just a it's a case of trial and error and, and they have to do it on this live, real um, matches to get it right. Otherwise, it's never going to work. 100 um, So that moves us on to, well, another hard-hitting topic. There's um, There was some recent uh, racism, which has been all over the news it's with the England versus Bulgaria match. Um, unfortunately, since then, I mean, you had loads of English football fans. Those are pundits scathing the uh, Bulgarian fans, and then it's quite sad to see. Really, you see, um, obviously there was, there was the incident with Yeovil and Haringey Borough, um, where the Haringey goalkeeper was uh, racially abused, and the, the team and the management walked off and decided to stop playing. Then you also had in the Scottish Premier League, Alfredo Morelos for Rangers, um, he was racially abused. Allegedly, after, at the moment. Allegedly, yeah allegedly abused after scoring against Hearts. And then uh, there's also been uh, reports of Bristol City fans um, chanting racist stuff from a, or, well, a, a minority of Bristol City fans whilst playing Luton Town. Um, I mean, it's quite, well, not what you want to see, really, especially of all the FA's stand-up to racism uh, and the campaign they're running at the moment. Um, I mean, it, it's fair to say it's sort of made little impact, really, in my opinion, at least um but i mean what what do you think needs to be done with that what what's the next step
1: i think obviously there was a disgusting racism in bulgaria last week and uh, last week sorry and um i think how the media covered it was very was i, th- I thought um itv did it very well personally i thought they kind of in the post match and half time analysis took took you through the steps so you could understand it so the viewer was kind of on board with that and kind of explained it in detail, but I think, as well as there being racist abuse in other countries, I think in our own country among our own people, there's, there's obviously a problem. Like you've mentioned, there's been a number of incidents in English football as well recently. I think that boils down to society, um, obviously education, education about racism. It sounds simple to talk about, but it's peop- uneducated people who are, or those who are educated, remember them, into fans uh the 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 uh was it the ultras group i think who was saying that we use kind of racism to put the opposition off mm. um the oh ul- no, sorry so. for bulgaria yeah, uh no sorry. i'll just rephrase it um i think it was uh the Serie A ultras who um well, some Serie A fans who racially abused romelu lukaku yeah. um, those fans came out saying it's a way of putting the opposition
0: off and we don't see it as racism. There was also the uh, Ronaldo Vieira, um, the Roma fans who were racist to him Um, (coughs) and it just seems like every single day there's a new story coming out and it's uh, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if it's kind of a knock-on effect. It's 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 so disappointing to see obviously we saw all that stuff in
2: Bulgaria on Monday night and everyone's talking about it almost not as a one-off incident but almost that we should be learning from that and it's it shouldn't be like that in our society. And then obviously we see it on Saturday in, in this country and in the UK. And it, I think, as Jack says, it probably does boil down to something deeper than football. It's not just rivalries. It is probably an education thing. It's, mm. it's more than uh, someone just standing there on the sidelines and abusing someone that doesn't play for the team they support. I think it is more that education on how damaging that is to... Someone and like communities I suppose.
0: Yeah. I mean one one thing that it's it's very well, especially in the short term, having a a preventative measure is impossible really, because you can't you can't stop people who wanna be giving that sort of abuse out. Um you can't stop them until they've actually said it. So rather than a preventative thing, it's more like a reactionary um thing is needed. But I'm not sure why Obviously, you get the police involved. There was the two Yeovil fans who were arrested this morning by Somerset police, um, and that sort of thing. That's that's good. Just it's good that they're sort of cracking down on it. But then, I mean, surely the FA or or the clubs involved, it, they need to be giving out lifetime bans if you're caught saying anything racist. You can never watch your that team play again, or you can be. It's the same as if you're caught if you work for a football club or an organisation, a football organisation, if you get caught betting once, you're yep. banned from working for any football club ever again yeah, yeah. in England surely it should be the same for racism um, you can't ever watch any football league club or Premier League club ever again yeah.
1: that... I completely agree lifetime bans you've just got to clamp down as hard as possible, I think in other leagues um, there have been very very soft bans and that if you're going to give a soft ban or a minor fine to a club that just the fans are going to take it with a pinch of salt and think oh ok, we can do it again think the Bulgaria manager obviously resigned now, but he was saying, "Oh, I didn't hear anything." Obviously, the captain made a point of it, and fair play to him to doing so. But I think in England, obviously, the FA just have to clamp down as hard as possible, and that's the only way to stamp racists out of the grounds. If they're gonna, obviously, you've got to <coughs> find the culprit. But once that's done, so you've just got to empo- enforce the hardest punishment you can in terms of never let them in a sporting ground again. In my opinion.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, it's it's very unfortunate to see. Um, and i'm sure while well, the fa they, they're kind of the the public pressure for them to to clamp down on this and i'm sure it, it's it's going to be at a point, a higher point than ever um so yeah Do you wanna just an, just one on more
1: thing i think what we've not brought in yet is just the social media how horrific social media can be in general yeah. but more particularly um, you look for particularly I think Chelsea and Manchester United players I think Tommy Abraham missing the penalty in the Super Cup I think Manchester United players have had it at this stage uh, already this yeah, season racist abuse on Twitter I think Twitter needs to be kind of it's so anonymous that people can literally say anything and get away with it yeah. You kind of. I've seen a view, I can't remember who said it but a view that resonated with me really I think it's a great idea that kind of linking if you in order for you to have a Twitter profile you must be a registered like your yeah, passport yeah. must be linked to it so then Twitter can it's look it's yeah. you yeah. and then you can take more direct action rather than anonymous accounts anonymous names get away with it like mm. it's nothing I think
2: Gary Lineker made a point of it and even obviously Harry Maguire you know fellow players in the game are even saying it now so I think it really is time that we start holding these people to an, like to account and mm. making an example of them.
0: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll move on from that. And, uh, yeah, well let's hope things can improve. I'm sure we'll see some retrospective action, um, over the coming weeks for the instance that we mentioned, um, which would be, it'll be good to see that. And hopefully it can improve from here on out. Um, moving down to the championship. We've, we haven't got too much time left, but I wanted to bring up, uh, one team in particular, um, Huddersfield now, four games unbeaten. Being a bit of a turbulent start, uh, I think we'd all agree for them. But um Karl and Grant's continuing continuing his good form from the Premier. He's now got seven goals and one assist uh, this season. Um, that makes it, what, nine and 23 uh, in all comps for Huddersfield. Um, but I mean, I know, I mean, He's made a big impact. And then also you've had... Um, I mean, it's not all been down to Carlin Grant. You've had the, the Cowley brothers come in and there was a bit of scepticism around it and some people questioning whether they should have made that jump up um, from League One. But I mean, I mean, how have you rated Danny Cowley since they took over?
2: I think they've been brilliant. I think it's not just been on the pitch, but off it as well. I think obviously what you've seen in the last few weeks, they've really galvanised the team. You've seen them start to really play under the way that Danny and Nicky want them to. I think they've really turned the corner. It's difficult when you come, when you have a losing mentality, obviously. They would had something like one win in this calendar year, and then mm. the Cowleys come in, and that's difficult, obviously. You don't want to keep that losing mentality going, and obviously being in the relegation zone under Yanziva, it's difficult to sort of get out of that rut, I suppose. Um, so obviously they've brought the Cowleys in, and just completely galvanised them on the pitch they look better off the pitch I think there's a real lift within inside the club everyone seems more you know more I think determined to push forward almost as a community in in many ways I think obviously it's difficult when you have that but they've come in and they've really given the club a lift and you're seeing it pay off on the pitch now
0: Mm, definitely and I mean what would you say sort of changed in terms of style of play and you mentioned the atmosphere around the club, but what, what about the sort of style of play that they've implemented to this Huddersfield side? I think
2: a lot of the games earlier in the season, it was very, they were struggling for creativity in the final third. I think they looked, they didn't look solid defensively. I think that's obviously the cornerstone of any team, particularly in the Championship. You've got to be solid defensively. I think they've really done that. They've utilised the quality they have at the back and really started building there. I think in terms of, Going forward, the creativity in the final third. Obviously, you alluded to Carl and Grant. They've been re- like very reliable on him. I think they've not necessarily shared the goals around, but every time they've gone forward, it looks like there's more players willing to get an attack in attacking positions. There's yeah, less pressure on Carl and Grant to get the goals. Got Bakuna playing well, exactly. especially. Bakuna's in form, and that's the difference. Before the Cowleys came in, Bakuna was really struggling for form.
1: Yeah, I think... Obviously, I can't t- talk in m- as much detail because I've obviously not watched Huddersfield as much and uh, or covered it, but I think, like you alluded to there, kind of the attacking players, I think a lot of it's rejuvenation. So when we're in the Premier League, we're looking at players like Ad- Adama Diakobi. I remember writing a piece on him in the back re- la- uh, latter end of last st- last season, and I think after a season, I was suggesting that, he, he should move on because yeah. he wasn't being inclu- included in the matchday squad. He's a significant transfer theme, maybe 10, 15, 13 million or so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think although he's a player with high potential, he just wasn't, he wasn't being picked in the squad and he wasn't proving his ability um, in the short cameos he was being being provided earlier on in the season. So I think in the championship, the Cowley brothers, I'm not sure if Diakobi was starting or not beforehand, but... Uh, him and obviously Elias Kachunga who's come back off yeah. loan I think that kind of trio like you alluded to um, have really helped with that creativity because I think when we were last season looking at Huddersfield it was really like a lot of isolation and mm-hmm. um, well, there was front, front players were isolated and there was kind of massive gaps between midfield and attack whereas I think this season they uh, seem to
0: have shored that up a bit and uh, looked to be on the right way up Yeah, and uh, and, and Done quite well with the absence of Moy as well, obviously yep. on loan at Brighton now, um, with a potential view to buy, what have, ma- what
1: have you made of him, by the way?
0: Oh, uh, well, apart, apart from that red card Sound this weekend, the weekend, I mean, he put a really good, he put a nice Instagram message out just saying, sorry for ruining your weekend, basically. <laughs> That's literally what he said. Um, but <laughs> He's quite Moy Moy Moy's one of those players, I remember from the Championship, where every single time we played him, I was like, I just wish he was on our team, because... Yeah. He's the most frustrating player when you're against him because he's just so efficient. So it's so not much even quality. He's not even he's not fast. Like, he's not the most like technical dribbler. Like um, Men- mentally, but fast. his, his, his well, thought process. Is exactly. He's so got so a far. great footballing brain and the positions he gets into, uh, his passing range. He's just so clever off the ball, and that's what makes him such a dangerous player. Um, but yeah, we won't we won't talk too much about Brighton. We'll save that for when we actually <laughs> win a match. Um, <laughs> But no, it's uh, it's looking up for Huddersfield. I mean, my final question on them, and I know it's, there's still, what, 38, 39 games left of the Championship. Um, but I mean, in terms of looking towards the end of the season, I know it's, it's a long time away, but do you think they, they, the, the Cowley brothers will be looking at those promotion places?
2: Listen, any, anything can happen in the Championship. We saw that with Villa last year. I can't remember what the exact... Numbers were, but I'm pretty Maybe sure twelfth to sixth yeah. was it? Twelfth fifth? Like New Year or something? Well, they, yeah. yeah, second half of the season so they picked it up. You, I think we look forward towards Huddersfield's fixtures. I think a few teams around them now is who they're playing in the next few games. So it's a chance to get some momentum, keep building. I think they'll first of all they'll be looking at getting out of the relegation zone. Obviously they got out of it last week. Few results this weekend, so they're back in it. I think they've got to establish that they're in a relegation battle. Get out of that first. And then, you know, if you're in that similar position to Villa last year, there's no reason why you can't push up. We all know how crazy the championship is. Um, But I think first and foremost, they'll be getting out of them lower positions in the table and then they can look up.
0: Yeah, exactly. That brings us on to our Sporting Focus um, we'll be looking at Andy Murray with his first singles title since his career, saving hip surgery. <laughs> he, he beat Stan Wawrinka at the Euro- European Open, um, which made his first title in 961 days, uh, where, which his last one was March 2017. Um, the scri- I mean, I don't know if you saw the scenes after. He was in tears. Yeah, quite emotional. Yeah, and he described it as uh, one of the biggest wins of his career. Yeah, and I'm sure for him, coming back from that is just, well, unbelievable, really, isn't it? And I think the next thing for him and his team will be pushing on to to uh, Wimbledon next June. Yeah. Um, hopefully, sort of getting his fitness back. I imagine he wouldn't be at his sort of peak level physically. But I mean, I mean, can uh, on that point, I mean, can you see him pushing on at Wimbledon potentially and having a chance?
2: Yeah, potentially. First of all, it's great to see any sporting icon, particularly obviously someone like Andy Murray, a great British icon for you know our generation growing up. In tennis, um it's great to see him back, I suppose you know whenever it was his surgery that he had done, there was a lot of worry that he wouldn't be back or he wouldn't you be back to a level that he was,
0: or would just retire, yeah exactly,
2: so first of all, it's great to see that pushing forward, it's difficult, but there's so many figures in tennis, you look at Federer and Nadal. Have had these setbacks and then come back and the back to the top level. Mm. I suppose you know it's a long way off. Anything can happen, and when you've come back from a surgery, obviously you can get the slightest little knock every now and then. It can be difficult, but yeah, it would be great to see, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, definitely. And um, in terms of well, his mental strength as well, coming back from oh, that. Definitely. Um, and it just it's it's kind of a real. It's just well, fantastic to see, isn't it? Really.
1: Yeah, I think he's obviously with Wimbledon, like you you, like you alluded <coughs> to there. He's done it before, but can can he do it again with a metal hip? That's the question. Uh, yeah. I think, obviously, it'll be a tough ask. Obviously, will he be back to physical peak condition in 2020? Um, let's hope so. If we can do it for Britain, then that would be fantastic. Yeah,
0: well, we'll be watching it closely and uh, cheering Andy Murray on as, as ever. But uh, that brings us on to the end of uh, the first episode of Season 2. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've got our social post coming up oh, yeah. uh, just before we finish. Uh, do you to, should we start off, Jack? <clears throat> right, so my social post of the week, I'm going to go with a
1: tweet from James Nalton, world football writer, who tweeted a video of Rajanayan Gollans' goal from this oh. weekend. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Reminiscent Technic. of Paul Pogba's outside-of-the-foot half-volley Pogba. from the Juve days. Some and he's the ball's dropped, controlled it on his chest, bang, half-volley outside-of-the-foot, upper echelon, top Bins. He's a
0: player I've always wanted to see in the Prem. Yeah, nine goals. So he's getting a, a bit old Samurai, now,
1: Complete player. I mean, obviously, he's had spells in the Serie A. He's at Roma now, I believe. Or is he not? He's he's not, not uh, he has Ka- been at Roma. Ka-
2: Ka- Ka-
0: Ka- 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 yeah, he's yeah, yeah, moved on to I all will take it place. back. <laughs> he's,
1: he's obviously had spells <laughs> across the Serie a. Um, I think Mikey said, is it Cagliari there, yeah, is it? Yeah, I think so. Cagliari. Oh, Cagliari,
0: my bad. I'm probably wrong.
1: But, obviously, he's still got it. He may be ageing, but he has still got a sweet strike.
0: Yeah. And Mikey?
2: I'm going to go with one from a page called Vintage United, um, a guy called Ryan. It's a United fan page. And I'm sure you all know since Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer took over, there's been this big Ollies at the wheel thing. <laughs> um, so after West Ham beat United, uh, was it last month? I think West Ham won 2-0. Mm. Uh, since then, their results have been Oxford 4-West Ham nil, Bournemouth 2-West Ham 2. West Ham won Crystal Palace 2, and at the weekend it was Everton 2, West Ham nil. Uh So he just said, we warned you, lads, it's a curse. Because <laughs> after that game, they tweeted a picture of Manuel Pellegrini oh, uh, with no. the caption, at the wheel.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, the oh, cur- the curse, curse of the wheel. And George? Well, mine's not short and sweet. It's just uh, Jamie Carragher's uh, <laughs> new profile picture on Twitter. Um, great which video. Is very, yeah, the video is really funny and video. and the photo is even funnier with gary neville in the background so that's kind
2: of insight you know like seeing them things behind the scenes
0: yeah yeah that's like the best Mm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's like the best
0: best. um but no thank you very much guys for being on the episode i've thoroughly enjoyed it i hope you have too
2: great to be back
0: and uh we'll be back in two weeks time we are we're changing our format this year um uh, we're changing our format this year uh, just because there's going to be a bit more of a workload with our secondary of studies. Um, so we'll be doing episodes every two weeks. Uh, if we do find time, we can, we'll try and do some extra ones for you, but uh, every two weeks uh, we'll be there. So we'll see you in a fortnight. Goodbye.